Philippians chapter 4, if you have your Bible, I'd love for you to turn to Philippians chapter 4, that's the, uh, the text, Philippians 3 and 4 actually, sorry, Philippians 3 and 4, that's the text that we're going to be in this morning, and um, super excited to be uh, kind of touching on a passage of scripture that is um, probably one of my uh, favorite passages of scripture, and I, lo- I love the, the heart of worship that came through this morning in, in Gavin's contribution about um, the Father's love and, the, and the, the presence of the Lord kind of brooding over us and uh, the, the, the songs that we sang that declared the reality of the gospel. And that text is what I want to preach on today, the, the, um, the importance, um, even if you are here and you've been serving the Lord for many, many years, I don't ever, I, I personally don't ever want to, and I, and I want to encourage you to never lose the, the power and the impact of the truth of what Jesus has done for us and the incredible privileges that come with stepping into the fullness of what Jesus has done for us. Um, the, and, and most important, above all else, is the reality that we get to step into and experience a relationship with God the Father. Uh, through the presence of the Holy Spirit. And I hope that today that's going to come through um, in, in what I share. A couple of weeks ago, um, I had the opportunity of going to uh, Jim Gaffigan. Jim Gaffigan, the, the stand-up, uh, stand-up comedian, was in town, and I took my daughter, Hannah, my middle daughter, and um, it was at the Chicago Theater, which we'd never been to before. I'd actually never been to a stand-up show before. And uh, we absolutely loved it. I mean, he was, he was outstanding. He was hilarious. The whole experience was fun. And it reminded me of an experience that I had with Hannah a couple years ago, the first time we went to theater together. We went to something, let's say, a little more sophisticated. We went to the Lyric Opera to go watch um, uh, one of Mozart's um, operas. And... The Magic Flute, that's right. And it, it, when I was at Jim Gaffigan, it reminded me, um, just from the dress code alone, just how different the opera experience is to a stand-up comedian experience. I mean, some people were at Jim Gaffigan like they had just woken up from a nap on the sofa and kind of stumbled into the theater. It was very different. When we went to the opera, I had never been to the opera before, so I didn't know the, the kind of etiquette and what was, what was you know, the, the, the way to dress. I knew it wasn't, op- it wasn't opening night, so I knew I didn't have to wear, you know, black tie and what have you, but, you know, I, I had to dress appropriately, and, and if you know me, um, there, was a, there was an inner critic, there was a, a, a voice of the inner critic that is so, so loud. I mean, I'll go through four or five outfits on a Sunday before I decide exactly what to wear. So, you know, I was back and forth about the, about the opera. You know, do I wear a, do I wear a suit kind of without a tie? You know, do I wear a button-down shirt with a sweater? Do I wear a sports coat? And, and, and the reason for this inner turmoil, the reason for this challenge of, of what do I wear wasn't just to satisfy the inner critic, but I went home to the opera and it was, and I wanted to be accepted. I wanted to be part of the in crowd. It was, you know, my dress code was kind of like an offering that I was giving to the opera goers to say, you know, on the basis of what I was wearing, you can accept me because of this offering or because of this resume, this, 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 this uh, presentation of who I am, you can accept me on the back of that. Well, you'll be glad to know that when I got to the opera and I surveyed the the, the crowd, I, I realized I was in. I mean, I, I nailed the outfit. I, I was fully accepted, and I even, um, even though I'd never been to the opera, even disparagingly looked at people who had decided to wear jeans. You know, I'm like, what, what, are, you, what are you thinking? You know, I know, you should know you don't wear jeans to, to, you know, to the opera. But the 
exactly like it's this this idea of of presenting or, or this idea of hiding behind an offering this idea of of emphasizing our strengths and diminishing our weaknesses is something that we do all the time and it's it's something that has been going on for a long time in genesis um, chapter 2 it tells us that uh, before adam and eve uh sinned or rebelled against God. It says in Genesis 2 that they were both naked and they felt no shame. You know, Adam and Eve had nothing to hide before sin, before sin entered the world. Adam and Eve had nothing to hide and, and, and they, weren't, they weren't controlling what each other or what God saw about them. And as soon as they, as soon as they, uh, uh, as soon as they chose to trust themselves rather than trust God, as soon as they chose self-reliance over God-reliance, suddenly they were, they realized that they were naked, and they were, and they were covered with shame. And what they did was they, was they tried to cover up their nakedness in order to try and find that restoration of of closeness with each other and with God. And I think that's something that you and I are continually doing, and, and we as, as, as humankind have been doing since the fall, constantly trying to control what other people see, or hopefully trying to control what God sees about us, so that we can, we can wave a, a resume at him and say, off the back of, of what I've achieved, you have to accept me. And that resume can look like so many different things. It could look like uh, a hard work, you know, uh, working 70, 80 hours a week in order to be successful off the back of, of and hoping that someone would accept you because you appear successful. Or, or in my case, one of the things that I struggle with is, is not often being able to say no to somebody because I don't want to disappoint people. Or, or, or maybe it's, it's reading the Bible kind of at, at least five times a week because that's what God would want of, of me. And there's nothing wrong with reading the Bible. Please, please hear me. There's nothing wrong with, with wanting whole relationships. There's nothing wrong with hard work. But when we take those things and we wave them at God and we say, off the back of what I've achieved, you have to accept me. Or sometimes just as bad when we wave them at each other or even at ourselves, we can live under an incredible amount of, of pressure feeling like we're always falling short of expectations that, that God or that one another or even ourselves place on ourselves. And so what I want to talk about today is our struggle with righteousness. And that might seem like a strange thing to say because we know very well that it is sin, the kind of falling short of what, God, what we think God wants. Sin, yes, sin separates us from God. But I want to suggest to you today that when we have a wrong understanding of righteousness, when we try to achieve that ability to stand before God, and, and we try to achieve that for the wrong reasons or the wrong ways, that's just as damaging to our relationship with God as sin. And so today we're going to learn about that, that, that righteousness is, 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 is of most importance. It's, it's something that is so important, but it is also our greatest struggle. But the good news of the gospel that we're going to read today in Philippians chapter 3 is righteousness is God's greatest gift. And so let's jump in at verse 1 of chapter 3. This is cutting out a bit, is that okay? Alright. Um, Philippians chapter 3 in verse 1, Paul, Paul says, he says, uh, uh, further, what he means is that he's in, in what he's writing. Some translations say finally. He's meaning additionally, in addition to what I've already said. Furthermore, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. And it is a safeguard for you. 
Watch out for those dogs, those evil doers, those mutilators of the f- flesh. The, the dogs or the mutilators of the flesh or the evildoers that he's referring to is this, is this Jewish sect of, of, of converts who, who have the conviction that grace and grace alone is not enough to have relationship with God. And they're, they're undermining Paul's teaching on the power and the purity of grace. And what they're saying is, it's, it's great if you have accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but because we are Jews, we know some of the Old Testament teachings, so Jesus is good, but it's Jesus plus a few little extra things. Jesus plus celebrating special days. Or Jesus plus doing things a certain way, and their absolute favorite was circumcision. Yes, Jesus, yes, the gospel, yes, grace, but what God really wants is for us to be circumcised. And what Paul does over and over again in his teaching is he is fighting, as should we, he is fighting for the purity of the gospel. That it is grace plus nothing, grace minus nothing. It is Jesus and Jesus alone that enables us to obtain right standing before God. And so what Paul says, and look at verse 1, he says, therefore, he says, rejoice in the Lord. He's saying, if if we rejoice in the Lord, we are acknowledging that Jesus alone is enough. That's why the Bible says we should enter God's gates with thanksgiving in our hearts. When I first got saved, I remember someone, a uh, well-meaning help, you know, this, this person sat me down and they were like, we, we want you to know what it's, what the, the important things of growing in your relationship with God. And when you spend time with Him, it's often helpful to begin with repentance because it clears the way for us to enter into God's presence. The challenge with that, though, is I would sit down and I would start and I would think to myself, okay, here are the list of things that I've done wrong. And I'd start, I'm sorry for this and I'm sorry for that and I'm sorry for this. And before I knew it, I was, I was filled with self-condemnation. And, and I felt the devil would jump in and say, yeah, but what about that? And what about this? And what about that? I think the way we come into God's presence is off the back of thanksgiving. We enter his gates with thanksgiving. We begin, when we come into God's presence, and we did it this morning, thank you, Lord. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you that you are seated on the throne. And before we realize, we've entered into the presence of God. And from that place, we can begin to allow the Holy Spirit to begin to reveal things that we need to deal with before the Father. But it is with thanksgiving that we come into God's presence. And so Paul says there, rejoice in who? Rejoice in the Lord. And so the first thing Paul is, is teaching us is about worship. Worship, not just the songs that we sing, but, but worship. What, what does it look like to live a life where we are constantly glorifying God? And the first thing Paul teaches is that worship is about where we find our joy. And we find our joy in Jesus. Rejoice in the Lord. The second thing he teaches is that worship is also about where we place our confidence or where we find our righteousness. And I mentioned a few moments ago that, 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 that righteousness is our greatest need. It's also our greatest problem, but it's God's greatest gift. Righteousness is our greatest need because by, by righteousness, we are able to find access into the presence of the Father. It is absolutely our greatest need. Look at what Paul says in, in verse 3. For as we who are the circumcision... So what, what Paul is saying is, is, is these, this Jewish sect are saying that we need to be 
extremely circumcised to gain access into God's presence. And Paul is saying, no, 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 no. It's we who are able to gain access into, into God's presence. Not through an external circumcision, but a circumcision of the heart. Something that the Holy Spirit does in our hearts. It is, for it is we who are the circumcision. We who serve God by the Spirit. Notice there, it's a work of the Spirit. We who boast in Christ Jesus. We who rejoice in the Lord, as he said in verse 1. And we who put no confidence in the flesh. And then in verse 4 to 6, Paul lists out anyone worthy of confidence in the flesh. If anyone were to use a resume... To wave at God and say, you need to accept me off the back of what what I've done. Paul would have reason to examine that resume. And he begins to list the things that that, that were in his favor. For I myself have such reasons for confidence, he says. If if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth eighth day of of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the, uh, uh, as, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. And so what Paul is doing is, he, is he's, he's listing out his credentials. He's, he's writing, as it were, his spiritual resume. Now think about what a resume is. You, we use them all the time. We've used them to get into college. We've used them to get the job that we, that we want. A resume is a, is a padded out, it's a carefully crafted document that, that emphasizes our strengths and completely minimizes our weaknesses. You know, it says, look at all the things that I've done and completely ignore all the things that I haven't been able to do. And we, we, we present this document to the, to the school or to the job and we say, accept me off the back of this. But as I alluded to earlier, using a resume is something we do all the time in far more subtle ways. When you meet someone for the first time, you don't share your weaknesses. And you want to emphasize the things that you've done well. When I went to the opera, what did I do when I went to the opera? I would then see all my strengths of my dress code and forget about all the fact that I'd taken 45 minutes or an hour to even choose the outfit. When we, for those who are single, wanting to get the second date, or wanting to get into grad school, we are using resumes all the time. And the struggle is... Is that because we use this resume, this, this list of strengths, minimizing weaknesses, achievements, because we do it with one another, it's no wonder that we end up doing it with God the Father. This mindset of, of Lord, accept me off the back of what I've done, comes through in our relationship with God. What's the challenge, though, with using a resume? What's the one thing you think of when you've gone through a job interview and you've submitted your resume? Have I done enough? Have I done enough? Is this resume enough? Will I be accepted? And that's the problem that we have when we interact with God on, on that basis. At the end of the day, have I done enough? Will God accept me off the back of who I am? One of the things that I have struggled with in terms of leading um, Anthem Church is this need, I don't know where this need comes from, whether it's a need that's within my own, within my own heart or, or pressure that other people place on me, but this need to be accepted off the back of leading an apparently successful church. And what even is success? I mean, who knows what's, what success is? It's certainly not the way the world measures success. 
And so there are times when we've gone through difficult moments at, at, at Anthem Church. And Debs and I love the church equally. And uh, in those times, I am deeply rocked when we go through tough times. And Debs, in her wisdom, is able to say to me, babe, we need to trust that Jesus is building her church, uh, building his church. And it's not that she loves the church less than I do, or I love the church more, but I've allowed a successful church to become part of my spiritual resume that I wave before God. There's a beautiful um, uh, uh, illustration that I found the other day. Letitia Wright, if you've seen the movie Black Panther, Letitia Wright is the actress who played Black Panther's sister in the movie. And she's a British actress. She's actually a believer. And uh, she got an award in England for the role that she played. And I saw this interview between her and a, a, a daytime talk show. And they were asking her about her, her, her career. And um, she said this. She said, I needed to take a break from acting because I really idolized it. So I left acting and went on a journey to discover God and my relationship with him, and I became a Christian. He gave me such love and light within myself. I felt secure like I never needed validation from anyone else, from my career, from getting a part. My happiness wasn't dependent on that. It was dependent on my relationship with Jesus. And we're constantly faced with this challenge of where do we put our trust or where do we place our confidence? You see, you know, for this, this actress, you know, for her, her con- the, the temptation was for her to put her confidence in acting. For Paul, it was in his religious pedigree. For me, it was leading a successful church. What is it, what is it for you? What is, the, what is the thing, what is the temptation for you to find confidence in rather than simply off the back of what Jesus Christ has done for you? Righteousness is our greatest need, but you can see also that righteousness is also our greatest problem. But the beautiful truth of the gospel, and we're going to look at it in verse 7 through 9, is that it's actually God's greatest gift to us. God says, I don't need your, your hard work. I don't need your attempts to do enough. If you trust in my son and my son alone, that is enough for you to gain access into my presence. Look at verse 7. Paul says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. All of those things that I achieved, I now can put them aside. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. That is such an an anemic English translation of the original Greek. Paul literally says, and I can't say the word, but dog poop, the harsh kind of curse version of dog poop. That's what Paul says. All of those righteous acts are like dog poop. Uh, um, I consider them dog poop that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. And what we need to understand is, is, is Paul has, has discovered a righteousness, but, but the righteousness itself is not the gift. The gift is Jesus Christ in whom righteousness is found. And that's so important for us to see. We don't marvel in righteousness. We marvel in the one who is righteous and gives us that right standing before God. Look at verse 7. He says, his gains are lost. Why? For the sake of knowing Christ Jesus. 
And in verse 8, he goes on to give a surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And in verse 9, so that I may be found in him. In my devotions, I'm reading through the book of Revelation and uh, doing a kind of a deep dive into, into the study of that book. And Revelation 1 starts off with this incredible vision that John gets of the person of Jesus. And it describes Jesus. He describes Jesus in seven ways. And, the, and his last description of Jesus is his face shone like the sun in all its brilliance. Now, now think of the times when you and I were kids and you go outside and we've all done this, but you, know, you stare too long at the sun. And then suddenly, after, because you stare too long at the sun, the, the image of the sun is burnt into your retina for kind of 30 seconds. And everywhere else you look, all you can see is, is the sun. That's what Paul is saying has happened to him because he's seen Jesus. He's seen the glory and the magnificence of Jesus. And so when he looks at his works and his, and his, and his lofty righteousness, all he can see is the brilliance of Jesus. Jesus overwhelms. Jesus has completely overpowered everything that he thought was right. And I love what, what Paul says. Where does God find those of us who have received the gift of his son? Where does God find us? Those who have received the gift of his son, where does he find us? Padding up our resume? No. Look at verse, verse 9. I'm found in him. That's where God finds us. When God, like, to get the picture language, but if God were to come looking for us, you know where he finds us? He finds us in his son, Jesus. And, and we have to understand, friends, that, that if we are in Jesus, we have a perfect, complete, never-to-be-added-to resume or righteousness that comes from Jesus, irrespective of what you do, good or bad, irrespective of what happens to you, good or bad, or the mistakes that you make, Jesus' righteousness is perfect and is never to be added to. And that's where we need to remind that, that, that ourselves that where we are seated. Genesis 27 tells the, the story, the account of, of, um, of Isaac, who is old. And he has two sons, Jacob and Esau. And Esau was Jacob's, uh, Isaac's favorite son. And Jacob knew that in order to get the blessing of the favorite son, he had to dress up in the son. I'm sure you are familiar with the story. And so Jacob clothes himself in the favored son in order to receive the blessing of the father. That's what happens to you and I when we come into Jesus. We, we are dressed in the favored son so that we can receive the blessing that the father wants to give the favored son he gives to you and I. Because we are found in Jesus. Worship is about where I find my joy. Worship is about where I place my confidence and then lastly, worship is about where I find my hope. Look at verse 10 and 11. Worship is about where I find my hope. I want to know Christ. That's where Paul says we find our hope. Not in circumstances, not in situations, but we find our hope in knowing Jesus. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. What was the goal of me uh, when I went to the opera? What was, what was the ultimate purpose of me being, of wanting to be accepted? So that, just, just so that I could live in the knowledge that I was accepted by opera goers? No. The ultimate goal was so that I could sit and relax and enjoy the performance. 
And it's the same as what, it's somewhat similar to what Paul is saying here, and I've alluded to it already. The goal is not righteousness. The goal actually is Jesus Christ. We are not to, to, to understand or receive the righteousness of God and think that's it. Righteousness is the doorway into exploring more of who Jesus is. I was never an athlete. Some of you maybe were, but a friend of mine was an athlete at school, and he always said that you are trained not to run to the finish line. You're trained to run 10 yards beyond the finish line. Righteousness is, if we're not careful, we can run to righteousness and not get the gift actually that's beyond righteousness, which is the person of Jesus Christ. Some of you have heard me use this illustration before, but the last time I took our son, Cade, who's now 13, when he was five or six, I took him to the science museum on the south side. And if you've been there before, you know how incredible the lobby is. And we came down the stairs into the lobby, I mean, massive ceilings and uh, there were huge dinosaur posters and, and the gift shop in the one corner and that silver train on the one side. And we spent 45 minutes in the lobby. I mean, looking at the posters and running to the gift shop and the, exploring the train. And then he said, thanks, Dad. Let's go home. That was amazing. Thank you for bringing me to the museum. And I'm like, buddy, this is the lobby. This is the right, this is, this is the equivalent of righteousness. There is the whole, the whole truth of, of, of Jesus to explore. Don't stop at the fact that you've gained righteousness. It's, you realize that righteousness is the entryway for you to explore a relationship with Jesus. And that we get to enjoy for the rest of our lives. So where is your hope? In an inheritance that your family might leave you one day? Or in an internal inheritance that's waiting for you in heaven? Where is your hope in, 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 in treasures on earth that spoil or treasures in heaven that will never spoil or fade? Is your hope in retirement for two decades at the end of your life or in the resurrection that awaits us in eternity? And all of that is found in the, per, in the person of Jesus. I want to end with verse 12. Verse 12 is, uh, honestly, is if there is one verse that has changed and transformed my life, it's verse 12 of Philippians chapter 3. Paul writes, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And I, I, this, I hope this is not going to disappoint you, but for I've known Jesus since I was 20. I'm now 47. Um, I, I studied this passage about six months ago. And for 26 years of serving Jesus, I read verse 12 wrong. It says, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me for. For 26 years, I thought that that, that Christ Jesus took hold of me for, was a task or a calling or a purpose that God, had for, God has for me. So in my case, I press on to take hold of the calling of leadership that God has taken hold of me for. And there's an element of truth to that. But let me say, Jesus did not lay his life down so that I might serve as a leader of Anthem Church. Jesus laid his life down so that I might enjoy intimacy with the Father. And so the that which Christ Jesus took hold of me for and the that which Christ Jesus took hold of each of you for is not a calling, it's not a destiny, it's not a purpose. That is outworked in the real thing that God's taken hold of you for. And that is intimacy with him. That's why Jesus laid down his life. So that we can enjoy intimacy with him. It's what we sang about this morning. All of those songs spoke about the beautiful, the, the beautiful relationship that we have for him, have with him.
I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me for. I want to say, join me, because I struggle with this. Join me and stop and stop padding our resume for God. Join me in, in living in the reality of the freedom that we have and the acceptance that we have with the Father. And that frees us up to do things for God, not trying to earn His favor, but allowing the righteousness that is in our hearts to overflow into acts of service to one another. I'd love to pray, and then uh, I'll hand over to Hugh, and we'll see what, what God wants to do after that. Maybe we can, uh, just where you're seated, just eyes closed. Paul starts in Philippians 3, where he says, um, he, he, he encourages us to rejoice in the Lord. To rejoice in the Lord. To be thankful in God. He, he says it even later in, in chapter 4, verse 4. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Maybe quietly where you are, maybe you can just take a moment just to thank God. Just to say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for the gift of your son. Thank you for opening the eyes of my heart to the truth of who Jesus is. Thank you that we can come into your presence, not through anything that we've done, but purely and simply through what Jesus has done for us. Thank you, Father. We enter your gates this morning with thanksgiving and praise. We want to shake off all that, that people have put on us. All the times that we think we're not enough. All the times that we think we're not doing enough or we're not good enough. I'm not prophetic like Chanel, but I know that, that I, I struggle with that and I'm pretty sure others struggle with that too. Constantly find ourselves comparing to others, thinking that we're just not making the mark. Father, if anyone else is struggling with that, just this overwhelming sense of just not making the mark, Father, I want to pray that be broken off of people this morning. Thank you that we can rejoice in you, that you are enough, that you paid the price so that we can be free from performance, free from wondering if we've been accepted. And I pray, Lord, that revelation of your acceptance break into hearts and lives today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Set us free from this need to perform. Set us free so that we can serve you and serve others to the capacity to which you've given us, but not limited by our need to be accepted. Oh, Lord, let the gospel reign in our hearts. Thank you, Lord. We thank you for all that you are doing in our hearts, Lord. For all that you've done for us, Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that we would be a people, that this would be a church that would press on to take hold of the fullness of relationship with you, Jesus. The very thing you've taken hold of us for. We love you. We praise you. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.